Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. At some point, John and Sandy are going to figure out how to turn the cameras on. There they are, Luke. They're <laughs> uh, here. The technology works. Um, we are currently live on Facebook, uh, Twitch, Twitter, um, and YouTube. Thank you to everybody that's joining us live on there. Now, please get involved in the comments. Uh, we will. Uh, we, we did that last week. It was good fun, wasn't it, Sandy? We kind of picked up a yep. couple of comments right. and good bit of interaction. <clears throat> Hello to Andy, uh, who is uh, watching us live on YouTube. Um, tonight, we've got a... Well, John, I made John sign up to this podcast before Edinburgh versus Ulster, so he couldn't duck out of it. But I think yep. Sandy's probably the one that's going to be regretting um, <laughs> for signing up to this beforehand. So we, we will we will talk about Edinburgh versus Ulster, but we're going to do a bit of a season recap as well for a bit of fun. So we're not putting Sandy through too much torture and pain. Um, you can listen to this podcast on most podcast apps. You can watch us live and then watch us back on uh, the place I mentioned before. If you visit scottishrugbyblog.co.uk uh, slash Scottish Rugby Podcast, I think, then you'll find us. But if you just go to the blog uh, site, you can find the drop-down menu. There's all the details of the podcast there. And we're on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog. Uh, I'm at Cami Black. Facebook is Scottish Rugby Podcast because somebody, John, got us banned from Facebook uh, with the other the blog page. Um, we are also on Twitch, Scottish Rugby Podcast as well. Um, we have as well, we've, we've started up in the last couple of months our own Patreon page. So for three pounds a month, you can enter the Richie Vernon Thunderdome, uh, where you can get access to ad-free episodes of the podcast, as well as um, we are trying to commit to doing one Patreon-only episode a month, and maybe a little bit more than that as well. But we'll at least do one one special Patreon-only episode a month. Um, we um, have had a couple out. We did. A, we did. John, um, Ian, and I did a Q and A. Uh, well, we answered some important yeah. questions about pizza and quiche, John. We did, we did. So you're going to you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to pay money to do that, <laughs> to hear that. Um, we also um, talked about, in that podcast, we talked about the potential of a third Scottish pro team in some detail. And then this month's special um, is the History of Rugby Sevens. It's a podcast I did with Tony Collins, um, who is a rugby uh, sports historian, uh, and Lee from the Blood and Mud podcast. We did that as a bit of a joint venture. Um, it was mainly, I will be honest, me mourning about um, Edinburgh bias in Scottish rugby for for about an hour um, and, and how great the borders are. There's a bit of a, a, a dig into the history of rugby, the early history of rugby in the borders as well. So a lot of interesting things to cover. Um, if you pay £5 per month though, then you will not only get access to the Richie Vernon Thunderdome, but you get access to the Doogie Donnelly Members Lounge. So um, thank you very much to Ruri Kemet, who has paid £5 as a bonus not only do you get us to take off your coat, um, not literally, just, just in your mind. Imagine us, we take your coat, put it in the cloakroom, give you a wee ticket, come and get your drinks order, sit you down beside some of the other people that are in there. But uh, Ruri Kemet, thanks to him, he's he's upped his pledge. He, he was too cold, I think, on the sidelines of the Richie Vernon Thunderdome and has paid an extra £2 a month to come into the warmth. <laughs> warmth. So thank you very much for that, Ruri. Much, um, we're very grateful for that. Um, on the Patreon, we've got some plans for October. Um, we are going to do across the blog and the podcast and then a Patreon special. We're going to look at the hardest men in Scottish rugby. So we're going to put that to some sort of public vote. And uh, I put a wee thing on Twitter tonight, and I think that the debate is going to rage on um, about this over the months. So it's going to be quite a lot of fun. We've had, I think we've had, um, obviously you've got Jim Telfer, Ian Milne, David Leslie, um, who else have we had? Um, there's a couple of older ones there. We've actually had some. It's David, I'll get the right name of this, David Bedell Sivright, who used to wrestle horses, um, <laughs> I think fought in the First World War. So that's going to be interesting as well. Anyway, who's your initial thought, John? I say hardest man in Scottish rugby, your initial thought on that? Uh, Jason White came to mind immediately. Yeah. Sandy, you, I mean, you're, you're a different generation, without being too rude, Sandy, you're a bit <laughs> different generation to John. I think this is... <laughs> This is gonna. I think this is where the debate's gonna gonna rage. Is we're gonna get. I think you'll get a different answer from depending on when people. Yeah. 
were of a certain. I think I think probably your teenage and early twenties probably forms your views on who's a hard man yeah. in rugby because that's when you come to the sport. Who who have you got? Who would you go yeah, for? Well, playing up to that uh, stereotype, I'll, I'll, it's got to be the likes of Jim Jeffrey, Finn Calder. Uh, I mean, yeah. Phil, Finn Calder in particular, I think uh, for me. Um, I, I can't remember. I've forgotten his name already. But there uh, there was a. I think I mentioned a chap to you before who. Who, him and his family escaped the Nazis in World War Two from Holland. Um, I think that has to qualify as being pretty hard, to be honest. Yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah I will. I will say we're going to we're giving it quite a wide definition of um, of what hard means. So it can be anything. We're leaving that open to your own interpretation. It can be someone that fought hard on the pitch. It can be someone who overcame adversity off the pitch. And um, there's lots of stories. Just got so, so hard doesn't have to mean someone that tackled hard and played hard. It could be anything. Just the hardest man in Scottish rugby, the hardest player, even we'll open up, hardest player in Scottish rugby. So it could be a woman player, a female player as well. So we'll take all the nominations in due course. Keep an eye on on, on everything. Uh, Ron Wilson's come in. We had a lot of calls for this. It's Strokosh, no debate. It's aye, yeah, fair yeah. enough. I've, That's a fair I've, call. I know you're moving on, but I've actually just remembered somebody that uh, probably should be mentioned up there is the former Stirling County hooker, Kevin McKenzie. Uh, who was about the square foot and nothing, but was just the hardest guy I've ever played against. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah um, so I'll, I'll keep the story uh, for the Patreon, but uh, Aye, that's, he, he, was as, uh, I think he was as hard as they come. I'm quite happy to open up to club nominations as well. It doesn't have to be an internationals. Just you know, the hardest person that's played in yeah. Scotland. I think he was a B cap, so it probably counts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've got a bit before we get to Ember Ulster and then a bit of a, a season recap. We've got some news to go through. Um, it's rumored that there's been no official confirmation. I don't think there's even been an official confirmation of this autumn tournament of rugby that there's going to be either. There's been, I think, there's been an announcement that there's plans for one, but no formal announcement of what, what that's going to look like. Um, but the rumor is that Japan are out because of COVID, but Georgia are in. John, um, it's they're in. It doesn't really affect Scotland because I think they're in England's pool. Yeah, there was rumours today that the pools are going to switch as well. Um, Scott, Fiji are going to move into Scotland's pool, um, and Georgia will be in England's pool. So um, it might end up impacting us. Um, oh, to be honest, I mean, it's Georgia. Georgia should have been in there in the first place, really. And I think the, the shout for Japan was, you know, obviously they held a very successful World Cup. There was plenty of money coming from that direction. Um, but realistically, Georgia, it's a great opportunity for Georgia to get some, get a good run of competitive fixtures against um, those kind of tier one nations, isn't it? So, no, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Are you, th- I mean, good, good shout, Sandy, or is this, I mean, it's, it's pragmatic, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there was always good, there was going to be difficulties with, with the way things are with Japan and, uh, I think even South Africa mentioned it as, as well. But, um, and I think John's right. I think the big thing is that, that, um, Georgia will be loving this opportunity because, you know, if they have if they have a good showing, then they've just strengthened their argument, you know, by fifty percent, hundred percent that to to come into the, you know, an expanded Six Nations or or have somebody drop out. But um, we'll we'll see with see how they do when they get here. I mean, that's that's the interesting thing, isn't it? When we're talking about an expanded Six Nations, is it's you know it's taken coronavirus to get us to this point where. They're tearing up the rugby calendar and looking at new things, but this could be, you know, even once coronavirus has been, we were at a position where it's, it's, we can get on with our lives and return to to normal whenever that may be. That that rugby, in its in in the format that we understood it in terms of the calendar, is probably no more realistically because to have an eight team tournament in the autumn, however you structure that, whatever you do, I mean. That's going to be attractive to all the unions if you can play that and in you know an international tournament, not a World Cup, but once once a year, John. Yeah, I think I, th- I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's taken uh, unprecedented circumstances to generate um, an unprecedented solution to uh, the global calendar issue, and I think we just we just have to see how it goes. I think there'll always be the calls for keeping things the way they are um, because it works for some and you know there's obviously growing pressure on players player welfare the amount of minutes you know people are playing down south in particular but 
I think if there's an opportunity for us to really kind of showcase international rugby and that's you know that small window because it's because it's a bit longer than say you know your your kind of traditional autumn internationals it starts to mean a wee bit more to the kind of casual fan they start seeing it on the television every every other week or you know and, and start tuning in and thinking oh you know scotland are doing okay and that can convert fans if you've only got a game on now and then you're never really going to capture that casual supporter um so i think it's a good opportunity and again we'll, we just have to see how it goes yeah, I mean that's the thing for me, Andy. That, that uh, Sandy, I, I think the the format that's proposed kind of it keeps everybody happy for me because it still preserves the idea of tests and one-off tests. But what what it says is that at the end, the last weekend is reserved for let's just see you know who's won the most matches and get the top two teams and then yeah. the next two teams and then down, 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 and everyone plays each other in the last weekend. But yeah. So it kind of, in a way, everyone's happy. You get your, your one-off tests, but there is something meaningful at the end of it, almost as a celebration of what's gone before, in a way. Yeah. I think the only, perhaps the only sticking point is that the, traditionally that time of the year, there's usually somebody travels to New Zealand um, and that's not obviously going to happen um, or or vice versa. They, they, they come up here. Um, but it's certainly going to be more attractive to the TV companies. I mean, you can see at the moment it's obviously... Um, autumn tests are spread all over the place. Some are live, some are on Sky, some are on the... And, um, because obviously I don't think the TV companies see an awful lot of attraction in, in one-off tests, whereas a competition with the winners and, uh, and losers that comes with that is obviously much more up their, uh, up their street. And, and as you say, to the casual fan who may tune in because there's something to be... They see something to be played for. Um, so that, you know, it could make a difference that way as well. I mean, this is the way I'm... Andrew Lone or Andy Lone on, on uh, YouTube's brought this comment up and, and he's he's read my mind because I've got this on the notes anyway, um, <laughs> which is you know asking what our thoughts are on the fact that Amazon Prime might be interested in the broadcasting right for the for the Eight Nations tournament. Um, that was I think reported in the Daily Mail today. Yeah, but it's been rumoured for a while. I mean, for me, I can see the attraction for, from an Amazon point of view. You see the attraction. You get the, you 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 get access to Amazon Prime by just because you want your parcels quicker, do you know what I mean? So, so, so a lot of people have access to Amazon Prime not because they want to watch the TV that comes with it, but because they want to get the parcels in a day and free delivery. Yeah. So, you've, they've probably got quite a big market there. They could probably attract a few casual viewers in. It's what I think it's seven ninety nine a month, yeah. Yeah. which you're not talking your Sky, whatever it is for your Sky Day Pass, which is something yeah. ridiculous. Was it twenty five quid a day? Yeah, twenty twenty. Twenty quid a day for Sky Day Pass, so you probably you know you're looking at spending upwards of what eighty quid if there's four Scotch tests in the autumn with Sky. This way, it's seven ninety nine, so it's a bit more affordable. I know some people were saying you know not everyone's got unlimited broadband and stuff, so there's there's that. But I think it's it feels to me like a nice middle ground. And I'm not just saying that because I've got an Amazon Prime account, <laughs> but you know cards on that. I've got to declare my my vested interest here. But you know a lot of people will be signed up to it already. It's a you're not having to sign to a long term contract. It's seven ninety nine probably for the month, and from Amazon's point of view, the reason they can fund that, and I think this would be the controversial point, is if you're watching the rugby, then your Amazon recommendations are going to be all rugby autobiographies and rugby DVDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that I mean that's and that's where they get you the harvest. They're going to harvest your data at the same time. <laughs> If, but but I think it was um, I can't remember who it was. It was um, someone on the comments on the Scottish Rugby Forum. Uh, maybe Martin Clark even was saying, "Well, look, yeah, there is all that, but in return, y- you've got to see it as the money's going to your union in these cash-strapped times of Amazon, and we're willing to play big bucks to broadcast this for the sake of Amazon recommending you a few rugby books, and it ruined. You know, then would you do that if the money's then going to the SRU to fund to keep them afloat?" John, I mean, I, I know that you know there's other issues with Amazon about workers' rights and stuff, and we can you know, we can we can bring that in if you want to. But I, I don't know. I think any any company apart from maybe the BBC, but people might have issues there as well, are going to be kind of ethically pure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if so, I think if you're making your television consumption choice based on a level of morality 
like that, then you're probably going to be staring at a a wet washed wall that's not been <laughs> not even been painted. Um, yeah, I mean. So I, I watch a lot of the tennis on Amazon Prime, uh, and I've got to say that the, the quality of the coverage has has really improved. Um, in terms of the streaming, I, I mean, I've rel- I don't have very fast internet. I'm, I'm you know on quite a reasonable connection, and the quality is really good. Um, so I'm I'm quite interested. I'm always interested to see kind of you know it's interesting to think of Amazon as as a disruptor in this element. And you know Sky have had such a monopoly on the kind of pay for uh, sports for so long, and then BT obviously got involved. I think it's just great to see companies coming in and just changing things up. And if it for me if it drives down the prices for the rest of us for you know for, for paying paying for rugby then i'm happy to see that but the price that they're paying to the to the sru or any of the other unions is not going to go down their rights are valuable and that it's, it's going to be treated as such especially with more competition so um yeah and although we've got ryan cabane's coming in prime in my opinion very successful with the football this might be a great thing for rugby yeah i i, I have to agree yeah, Sandy. I mean, your take on this. I mean, it's like John said. It's you've got people like Sunset and Vine. I know they've, you know, not no longer associated with Premier Sports, but there are these production companies that will be used to working with rugby that they could, you know, Amazon can pull off the shelf and get them to come and work with them. So that you might not necessarily see a significant drop in quality. It's just the same. It's essentially the same companies just do being contracted to do it by somebody else, isn't it? Uh, I missed the start. I don't know if you were addressing that to me, Cam. I missed it. We froze for a second, but uh, I was. Yeah, when I, I was addressing. Yeah, it. no, I, I don't think there's any any problem with that. I mean, I think we're in a situation now that if you expect you're going to get all these all the sports on on BBC, you're kind of kidding yourself. On yeah. they're not going to. They don't have the money to to bid for that. The the big companies can can outbid them every day of the week. Um, I mean, you see it all the time folk clamouring for the 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 Pro 14 to be back on. On BBC, BBC Alba, uh, and you know the production values weren't great. Um, yep. There was only one one game, and seven were actually broadcast. I mean, you can now watch. I mean, for all that Premier Sports is a bit of a, a mess in some ways, you can watch every single game live. Mm. And if you and if you're interested in the Pro 14, that's you know even if you only dip in and out of it, you know that you've got a much better experience there. I, I, I again, I don't know if I picked up on this, but I, I've never used Amazon Prime for watching sport it's only just been you know movies and documentaries and such like uh, I, I take it there's a, a rewatch facility if once a live yep. event's been yeah and that would have, that would have been my only concern and as long as because sometimes you know it's like you can't watch it uh, as live as you would like to or um and you want to maybe watch it by later um so as long as you can do that i'm, I'm comfortable with it to be honest yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, and if the, if it's a facility to be able to watch, for example, the Italy tests, which are always hard to come by in this, you know, and even the France tests are sometimes hard yeah. to find in the UK because you, know, you might be lucky it's on Sky or it's on a random French channel you can get through satellite. But the autumn tests, it's fine. You can watch the England tests. You can watch the Ireland, Wales and Scotland ones. But you, it was always a struggle to get the France and the Ireland ones. Yeah. So if it's going to be pulled together in one package and you could sit in an afternoon and watch test after test after test, or dipping it out of them, then you know, jobs are good. You know, Seven ninety nine a month. You, you've yeah. got. You admit you'll be. You'll have to get the get the family packed away for that one. Hey, they like they like the rugby. They like watching rugby with daddy. I got oh. a rugby ball for my birthday with daddy written on it, which oh, it's well, a full size one. It says daddy on it. Now, obviously, in the that context, I can only use that ball with my kids now. Because <laughs> there's no way I can turn up to a game with adults with a ball that says "Daddy" on it, because that, that sends a very different message to people. I think I think they like own it, mate. I think I've said before on the podcast. I think that luckily the youngest has has got away from referring to it as watching Daddy's Men's, <laughs> <That's> uh, <right. laughs> which which led to some very awkward conversations with his nursery. He, he said he tells us he's enjoyed watching Daddy's Men's this weekend. It's the rugby. It's not <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Bonus, bonus uh, gov. <laughs> um, so I think that's staying into getting banned territory here, guys. Easy up. <laughs> we face we Mark Zuckerberg, the wee red flashing light. <laughs> again, boys, where's the ban button? Get them. <laughs> um, in terms of, um, I don't think there's any other news other than that. 
for the minute. I think we're we're all good, Sandy. Um, the time has come. The war has said to talk of many things. <sighs> yeah, to talk of Embra and Ulster. Um, I mean, let's. I think we can touch on it briefly because I think it, it might be. I'm not sure there's much to say about it. It was a really bright first first half, and then Ulster got the momentum in the second. I think the big talking point, probably, and the only thing, the thing worth talking about, I think, is the fact that they ended up in that position because. Yeah. How many times? Not just Edinburgh, you know, Glasgow, Scotland. This isn't an Edinburgh problem. It's not a Glasgow problem. It's it's an it's a, a problem that Scottish rugby have, and it's surprising that, I suppose from, you know, I know it's, you know, it's the first semi, and Richard Cockle talks about this as a project, but it's surprising that it it wasn't something that was anticipated, and that we find ourselves in this position yet again. Yeah, and. I, I mean, John and I had a bit of a chat about earlier on the week and the, the word choke was used and I obviously denied it strenuously. But as the uh, as the days have passed, I've actually come around to thinking that that's almost exactly what happened. It's, you know, um, I, I even wrote it, wrote it down, a breakdown in performance when expected to excel. And that, you know, but I, I think something we're maybe getting a, a, a wee bit or being a bit harsh because... Um, the game didn't, I mean, albeit that Ulster obviously had the upper hand in the second half, the game itself wasn't hugely different. Um, the, I mean, we were only, it was only 5-0 on the, actually on the on the board. I th- I mean, the, the big problem was the number of chances that Edinburgh passed up. Um, in particular, the one at the start of the second half that uh, um, after the... Uh, Grant Gilchrist threw a kind of risky pass under his own posts, and Bennett took off down the field. Now, if he's if his pass inside had reached, I think it was Nick Groom, or if he'd kicked ahead and they just ran on it and scored, at that point it's 19-0. And quite frankly, the game is probably over at that point because I can't, you know, I don't think Ulster would have recovered from that. Instead, four minutes later, it's back to 12-7, and mm. the, the pendulum has just swung entirely. Thereafter. I, I, it choke, yeah, they did, and I also think, to a certain extent, that the, the, there was fitness issues, um, someplace in, in one or two areas that people weren't performing towards the end of the game as you would have hoped for. Now that's understandable, but um, uh, and when you're on the back foot, it just it becomes even harder to to drag yourself up. I mean, the the, the big example I think is Grant Gilchrist who. Who was the captain by that point? Two two rucks in a row. He's a tackler. Uh, after the tackle, he, he you know he goes to ground and should get up um, quickly. Doesn't, and an Ulster player lies on top of him, and they get two penalties, and that settles the game. Um, now the penalties are harsh, I think, because I'm mean, not quite sure what he's meant to do when he's got when he's got an Ulster prop lying on top of him. I mean, it's like. It, it, it's a bit like having giant haystacks, you know, it's sitting on you lie, know, it's not going to lie back and think of Scotland. That's what yeah, it's ah, to yeah. <laughs> but in the in the way the laws are interpreted now, Frank Murphy was uh, completely correct. But I don't think that that would have happened in the first half. But at that point, I think he was done. I think he was he, his engine was finished. And to also expect him to be the captain in that last ten minutes. Which I honestly think, as well, is a bit inexplicable um, that uh, that you've removed McAnally with ten minutes to go and yep. the game's so tight. I don't, I don't get that. I think that's a strange decision. I'm good. I'm going to come to John in a minute. I'm just interested on that point, Sandy. Do you think it was a selection problem because he he went with he didn't necessarily go with the players that he'd gone with in the first two games against yep. the last two games against Glasgow. He he brought back in Toulis, for example. Now. It would seem to me that if you're treating those Glasgow games as a, you know, as almost your pre-season warm-ups going straight into a semi-final, that you stick with the players that you've given runouts to, rather than saying, "Oh, we need Ben Tullis. You know, we need yeah. we're going to rush Ben Tullis back. Is that was that an issue? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, the, I mean, the lineup functioned like 100% perfectly. I don't think they lost a single one, and it wasn't so much that that uh, Ben Toulouse wasn't fit. I think he was, um, as you would expect, somebody who hasn't played in eight months. And it was that was probably a gamble that was worth taking. But unfortunately, what that meant was that, that Grant Gilchrist was always destined to have to play the full 80 minutes because we didn't have 
you know, um, really too many options in the second row. Um, I mean, I think, I don't think, uh, I think Rory Sutherland looked an awful lot better than what Per Schumann did. He had a minimal impact. Um, uh, and I don't think that Belmata had much of an impact either in, in the entire match, never mind the, 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 the second 40. Um, and for me, maybe not a matter of fitness, but I would have, I would definitely have had Luke Crosby in before uh, Magnus Bradbury because I don't, as much as Magnus is a hard runner, he doesn't really, he's not got the um, eye for a gap of any description whatsoever. It's it's all very upright and bash into people and uh, and there's no there's no guile to it at all. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen him pass the ball. Maybe once in you know two mm. seasons, so you know you're not getting a pass there, uh, and that I think that that hurts. I saw that it was like you know you get these weird. Sounds, I'm, sounds as if I've been really, really hard on them. And, no, and I'm, going get, I'm going to make get John to be better, make you feel better in a minute. But the um, <laughs> I think that that Magnus Bradbury thing reminds me of a thing that um, can always wind me up on Facebook. Where I saw it the other day. It's just there's a, a photo of three kids walking through thick snow. And it said, do you "Remember when we used to walk to school?" I'm thinking, "Well, kids still walk to bloody school." And you know, remember when we used to get given heroin as kids to cure the common cold. We were all better for it and stuff like that. And somebody put, but somebody put the other day, I know it was a rugby one, and I actually agreed with it, is, do you remember when you tried to beat your man rather than run through him? Aye, <laughs> I thought, like, you know what, that's just something to be said for that, you know. Um, John, I'm going to get you to make, I'm, I'm going to put you, you're in your Glasgow Warriors shirt tonight. It's a bit, yes. a bit cruel, but there we go. Um is it what season is that from? Is that the Pro 14 winning chart? Is it? That's that's the Pro 12 winning chart. Uh, no, not quite. No, it's the uh, season after. Uh, the, season after. Well, there you go. Would that um, not be threadbare? That one, no. <laughs> no, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's all good, mate. Um, Kevin Miller on Twitter made a, a very good point. I think yeah. this might make Sandy feel slightly better that the Glasgow team that won the Pro 12 had been building for a while. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen quickly. So this is, if, you, if you're taking a long-term view, this is part of a process yep. for Edinburgh. And even, I mean, I, I suppose even that Glasgow team, you look at it and you've got the likes of, you've got a good mixture of all the, all the heads, like your Al Kellogg's, and then you've got, I mean, Finn Russell was probably, what, on his second season so, as a pro? Second season as a pro, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's it, it's not it's something that takes time. And maybe, it's not that we're thinking, thinking too much of Edinburgh, but this is, this is part of a process. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely fair. And for for all the winding up I've been doing, you know, there's there's there is um, the achievement Edinburgh have um, made this season to get to the semi final in what has been, you know, strange circumstances. Uh, it's it's something. It's a tick box for them now. They've done it. They now need to back it up next season. Um, my only concern is that when Glasgow, and I think I've voiced this before, when Glasgow were building that team, um, a lot of that was flying under the radar. There was a lot of players who, you know, like you say, you know, there's experienced heads who maybe weren't on the radar of bigger clubs down south and bigger clubs in France. And then you had those young players coming through who were adding genuine first-team quality straight away. With Edinburgh, my concern would be that the key players they have are on the radar for big clubs already mm. and the, the chance to build something that gets you to the level of a Leinster I don't think that necessarily exists anymore um, I think especially in the current climate I think clubs are going to be looking for a bargain at every given opportunity and Scottish players will be a bargain for them you know, guy, mm. guys like a Hamish Watson, a Mata, even, you know, a Mark Bennett, potentially guys like that will be on the radar for these clubs. So my, I really hope that Edinburgh do keep their team together and it, it will be great to see both clubs competing at the, you know, the top ends of their, their conferences or whatever we end up with next season. You know, we might even end up with a straight up league. Who would, who would imagine it? Whoa! <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It was really. It was hard to see because I obviously said that 
you know, I, I put myself on the line and said that they would bottle it. And for all the laughing about it, I was I was disappointed to see it happen because um, you know I really did want them to to do well. I'm also glad I'm right because you know that's that is really important. <laughs> <laughs> Scottish Rugby pod- Podcast keeping it parochial since 20, <laughs> 2015. <laughs> um, We'll move on. I don't want to dwell on it too much. As a matter, your match report, Sandy, I think covered it very well on the blog, so that's there for people to read. Um, John's raised a couple of interesting points that probably feed into what we're going to do next anyway. Um, when when we're going to do, you know, the Pro 14's ended. I know Ember is still in Europe. I'm not saying the season's over. You know, it's over for Glasgow. They're on the holidays, John. Yep. I'm going to make you feel a little bit worse about yourself for two minutes. Back, back um, in pre-season training already, mate. That's I know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's back in fat. How can you be out oh, back in fat oh, camp after two days? <laughs> Imagine the shame of that as a Glasgow player. Um, but we, we Ember still got Europe. We, we still haven't finished the Six Nations, so we've got a full season review to do at some point, as as it as it stands. But the Pro 14 is over, so it's a good opportunity to maybe look look forward and backwards at the same time and, and twirl around a little bit and get ourselves in a muddle. Um, I've asked you to do this for Glasgow and Ember respectively. I half had an evil thought of making you do it for each other, but I think that was probably... <laughs> <laughs> given I only suggested this yesterday, I thought that's probably a, a bridge too far. Um, yeah. First award then, we've got no physical awards, just if, if anybody's listening to this and wants to you know, pass on a hearty, a hearty elbow bump or whatever you're allowed to do these days, then please do. Um, your your MV, MVP, so this is um, Most Valuable Player, for Glasgow and Edinburgh. Sandy, I'll start with you. Who's, who's Edinburgh's MVP? Um, there's a choice for me, uh, uh, and obviously between uh, uh, Big Duhan uh, and Luke Crosby, because I think an awful lot of what you would term the you know the big players are are were away for a long time, so I think you had to play a certain amount to be qualified. So those two um, for me, um, and as I think that Luke Crosby would have made the difference. Um, for Edinburgh in the second half on Saturday, I'm going for Luke Crosby. What is it about Luke Crosby then that you like? Is there something that because he's not? I mean, he's, he's been on the fringes of the Scotland team, but what what is it? Just that he because he's been there and he's been putting in the hard work. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. It's it, he's a he's he's not a slacker by any manner of means, and he's he's hard. He's physical. Um, he, he's a bit of a wind up merchant a wee bit, but you know and and. Uh, and can uh, and he's in people's faces, and he's he's quite bizarrely he's actually huge. I mean, I, I, I remember quite you know not that that's a, an attribute, but um, I just think he's 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 somebody who appears to me to be really hungry to move uh, up or up or wrong, and I think is is battering at the door um, all the time now. Um, I mean, I, I know a lot of people will think there's not really much of a choice. It's always going to be Richie and uh, Watson. He has played on both sides, so. But um, I, I think in any other team, probably at the moment, he would be he would be starting. So, and I, I just think he's he's uh, proved his worth in a season where mostly your where your Watsons and your Richies were away an awful lot of the time with Scotland and the World Cup, etc. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout, um, John Glasgow. Then your your MVP this season. Yeah, so I think I think one player in particular was was head and shoulders and uh, quite literally in some cases uh, above others. Um, MVP this year for me was big big Xander Zandbags himself. Um, in terms, so I think this is the year that he. He's he's had criticism throughout his very very young career. Uh, regarding his technique, regarding his uh, extracurricular activities on the park. Um, and this was the season it kind of all started to come together. And he already looks every inch the world-class prop that he, um, he he's, he's going to be. I mean, Glasgow will not be able to keep him at Glasgow very much longer because <laughs> he is uh, a, a, real, a real talent. So, yep, Xander for me. 24? I know. He's, 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 he's a kid. He made his debut for Scotland at 18. Yeah. <laughs> and I think because he, he filled the gap, didn't he, at the time when Scotland was struggling for props. Yep. And I don't think 
we gave him enough credit for that at the time because he was, I mean, you know, Sandy, his, his technique wasn't great, but I think that's maybe because he didn't, unlike, Ro, maybe like Rory Sutherland's a good example of this. You know, Rory Sutherland came, you know, probably came through the hard way that he had to go up against the older heads and be turned inside out and learn how to not do that. Whereas Sander Ferguson wasn't learning that in the Scottish Premiership. He's yeah. learning that on the international field at 18. Yeah, and I was probably one of his biggest critics and got called out for it on Twitter by Xander himself. Um, <laughs> and, then, and, then he, um, and then he went on for his man of match, the That's man of the match uh, against Edinburgh. So I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry to the Edinburgh players for doing that. Too, but I, 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 genuinely, I genuinely think he has come on leaps and bounds in the, in the last... I mean, it's prop is always... A, a, I mean, you can be a great wing forward at 23. You can be a you know fantastic standoff at 22. But generally, you don't become a great prop until you're your late 20s. And he's on his way already. And I think that's... Uh, I, I, even before John said his name, I would have I would have picked him. So maybe I could have done this uh, the other yeah, way around. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's uh, see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, I'll, I'll stay with you then. Who's who's your most improved player for Glasgow then this this season? Yeah, so there, there was a, a couple of a couple of options here. Um, for me, one one of the um, one one of the real improvements I've seen uh, was George Turner. Um, the the way George Turner has so he still plays this um, squad player role where he he's he's back up to Fraser Brown, and when Fraser Brown's available, he starts. But the the impact that George Turner has every time he takes the field is second to none. He you know, we, we joke that he runs like a runs like a centre. He's he's got pace to burn. He's so physical, and if I was, so I know it's been mentioned a few times, but if I was Richard Cockrell sitting on the other end of the M8, that's one that got away. He he didn't fancy George Turner and sent him over the road. Um, you know, he's 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 improved immeasurably, and I think. In terms of you know looking at things like his set piece as well, that's improved. He he just looks more of a complete player. There was maybe a year ago when he was getting so he was you know breaking the international scene. You would have said mm, he's a bit of a step down from from Brown and from McAnally. Now uh, it's it's not nearly as much as it was. Hmm. Yeah, and we saw him. We we were at that sale game, weren't we? When he scored that yeah. absolute worldly of a try, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the the line that he ran. So that's, I know that's, that's, that's a good shout. Uh, Sandy, you your most improved player for Edinburgh this um, season? Yeah, uh, uh, Rory Sutherland. Uh, simple. Yeah. He's gone from being, you know, in a lot of injuries, effectively being third choice and being close to potentially not, you know, being a rugby player to uh, being a starting choice for Edinburgh starting choice for Scotland and been talked about as uh, a British and Irish line uh, and I don't think you can I think you can see any further than that um, and he, you know he's just he's turned everything around and I think that's it can only be the one choice it's interesting that we, we we've talked about props a lot on this podcast and on the blog over the years about the the, the kind of lack of Scottish props and all of a sudden we're kind of we're hitting quite a rich a rich vein of form in a way. And I think game time is definitely a big issue for them because it's, you know, how do you give everyone enough game time to make sure everyone's fit and healthy enough to, you know, be available for Scotland and also to keep the hand and to be good enough to take the step up. We've got Ollie Kebbles qualifying or qualified now, I think. You've got Pierre Schumann's going to be qualified next summer. I know maybe in the last couple of games, maybe maybe the eye's been more on the Biltong business than it has been on the on, on Edinburgh. But Perhaps. it's... Um, but you know, you you have all of a sudden we've got to we're starting to build a wee bit of depth, and that's that's a good thing. Um, who's your one to watch, Sandy, for Edinburgh twenty twenty one? I've not done 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 one season because I don't know what's happening. So, who's your one yeah. to watch for next the next twelve months? Twenty twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously the Edinburgh squad is reasonably settled, but I think given that we only have one regular standoff. Uh, we're going to see Nathan Chamberlain once the, the regular season starts, so he's got to be the one. Uh, and I'm hoping that it, it works out for him. I hope it, it becomes a, it's another 
um, uh, Hastings hidden away that, that coming through and making taking the taking the opportunity when uh, the big guns are away or left to go and play in France or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I think he's going to get he's going to have to get game time because you can't expect uh, Jacko to play every single game and every single minute, even if he stays fit. So that's that that's my one to watch and to see see how he gets on and hopefully flourishes and and we've got even more choices when it comes to uh, fly halves. I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, coronavirus, John's given us the, it kind of forced the hand to play these yep. players that maybe Ember wouldn't have even looked at Chamberlain as an option to even sign a, a couple of years ago. I mean, it's, it's probably the same at Glasgow. You maybe get Staff McDowell, might get a bit more game, Robbie Nairn. Um, who, who are you going to put for your want to watch in 2021? Yeah, so I, th- I think I think there's there's two people in particular that that um I, I can't really decide between the two so the obvious one is Jamie Dobby who looks every inch the the manner born successor to Ali Price and it's weird to say successor to George Horn but you know George Horn's still a kid as well um and we've got this guy who is barely out in appies uh behind him to you know come in but he he looked phenomenal at the start of this uh, you know during the, the sort of the season gone by and i think we were all expecting big things from him but the, the other the other one for me um one to watch um it's a is is a strange one but huge ones at fullback <laughs> Let's let's throw huge ones at fullback. Um, obviously, he said said he quite enjoyed it. Um, said, said what did he say? Quite... What did he say? No, did he not say <laughs> it's not as it's not as hard as people make out? Yeah, he 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 suggested that he wasn't sure what everybody was moaning about when what all the fullbacks were moaning about where um, that it was actually quite easy. Um, I, I love that confidence. That's class. So. But I mean, the games against Edinburgh for all for all the talk of how he was going to do, I think I think he looked relatively decent at fullback, and I think this might be what he needs to to kind of kick on, and add, it's adding something else to his game. You know, he doesn't have necessarily the most creative game. He's he's very skillful, but he doesn't have a creative game necessarily, and I think this opportunity might ask that of him, um, and. That's only going to make him a better centre as well. Yeah, no, that's a good shout, um, Sandy. Your your see, can you get me? I'll give them both together. Your season high and your season low for Ember. I mean, I'm guessing we've had your season low, have we? Yeah, yeah, uh, and, li- <laughs> and literally, and literally, really, just the the last ten minutes. To be honest, so, <laughs> I, I I don't know what's worse, lo- losing to Ulster or having uh, Ian Madigan do the do the coup de, coup de gras. To be honest, that's probably the worst yeah. thing about it. Um, Although I, I mean that that is an obvious note. Um, the, the not getting to I was meant to be going to Bordeaux, so on a personal level, not getting to Bordeaux for the game was a real real downer. Season high, well, I mean it, it's been. I mean, regardless of losing to Ulster and regardless of what happens next uh, next week against Bordeaux, I can't really complain about the season. Really, you know, you can't get to a semi final. Yeah quarterfinal, maybe another semi-final, whatever happens uh, thereafter, and think that it's been rubbish because, you know, that, that's you just want to be in amongst the the uh, knockout stuff at the end, and if you can if you can make one more than that, brilliant, but good. Um, so, uh, on that token, um, beating Munster in Ireland, uh, beating Wasps home and away, but it has to be Beating Glasgow on the resumption of uh, rivalry, <laughs> the most anticipated game of rugby for eight months, <laughs> and to win it handsomely, I think, just does the job. You, you. you know, you know what it's like. These wee teams like to raise their game. It's, yeah. oh, well, um, the thing is, John, we're still going to have some silverware at the end of the year. Uh, yeah. It's, it's I, not I mean, to be sniffed at. I don't know. Like it's pretty old. It's probably quite whiffy. <laughs> Hopefully, just filled with port rather than anything <laughs> more un- more untoward. I'm sure. I, I'm sure it's been filled with all sorts of things over uh, the years. Here we're back. Are we froze for yeah. a minute? We, did, we, did I disappear, or was I you, still turning you on? Yeah, you just I whirlpooled. How exciting! Uh, I think I, my, my, I need to find a way of connecting directly to the network. I was. Uh, yeah, 
So there we go, we're back anyway. I was saying, Sandy, yep. you couldn't do it in front of a crowd. That was my joke I made. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> oh, no, I must have. <laughs> so it sounded better when I said it straight away after what yeah, you said. Right. Um, John, your season high and your season low for Glasgow. Yeah, so the season so the season gone by, I mean, in terms of lows, there was quite a few at the start of the season. It was a really, really bad start. Um, Glasgow were losing game after game after game. Um, probably the biggest low, though, um, in terms of on the playing pitch, was the, the Leinster game, um, not long before lockdown, where we... We got absolutely trounced. We got absolutely trounced. And for me, it was indicative of how far Glasgow had fallen, uh, having only a few months previous been within a couple of bounces of the ball of beating Leinster and winning the title again, to then travel over there and get absolutely drubbed was um, was really disappointing. And it kind of followed on that the the main law of the season was actually the, the way the Dave Rennie era ended. Now mm. there was lots of talk about all the players Dave Rennie's brought through. There's been lots of talk about the 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 way he's taking Glasgow forward on the pitch, but there was it was a season of going backwards and backwards quite quickly. And then there's lots of stuff has sort of started to come out afterwards about maybe the way the certain players were managed, the way certain players have been handled. And it just it has left a bit of a, a better taste, which is a shame because he seems, you know, he seems like a good guy and he seems like he's you know, he's obviously a very talented rugby coach. Um it's just a shame it ended this way. Um, in terms of season highs, uh, there was a couple of, of again, a couple of kind of uh, moments. Obviously, beating Edinburgh at Christmas was really good, um, you know, but it's not really on our kind of list as the sort of top games. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think for for most fans, seeing the way Glasgow stood up in Europe to some very, very good teams. There was mm-hmm. obviously the bad result to La Rochelle, which we should have won, but the game down in Sale where they, they they were absolutely rampant. They were as good as I've seen Glasgow in Europe for, for many a year. Um, and a lot of that was precipitated by the return of the knack. So, mm. you know. Yeah. What was it? Was it like, something like 20 seconds from kickoff? Yeah. A few minutes yeah. for kickoff, and he's straight over the line. Yeah, right in front yeah. of us as well. I, mean, yeah, I always thought right. your season high would be the trip to the Arndale Centre. Uh, yeah, well. one of the most one of the most <laughs> terrifying places I've ever been on earth. It was like a, <laughs> it's like the Aldi equivalent of Vegas. <laughs> it did have oh, some it's... like three aisles of strange things that you don't need, but you're going to buy anyway. No, I don't understand why you would need to theme a food court after the Titanic. Why that would even cause? Oh, let's right lads, let's steam this good call. What can we do? The Titanic, the ship that sank. That's what we'll yep. do. We'll stick a McDonald's in the middle. Exactly what we'll Inexplicable. do. But no, that was good. I agree. I think that that's, those are good shouts. Very quickly because I know um, John's John's got to get off later on tonight. So I, we've got. I'll do. We'll do one. I've asked you to come up with your own awards. I've got mine. It's the the um, the Jim Hamilton Award for most likely to upset a former uh, colleague. Um, in the next year or so, in on the in the media is uh, John Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably already done it already, but that's uh, that's where I'm going with it. Um, Sandy, what's have you, you made up your own award and who have you given it to? Yeah, can, if I can do two, please. If you don't, go on, you go. Made, yeah, maybe I'll have, uh, the so the Tetley's Bitter Award for uh, uh, sponsored <laughs> by geezerjob.com. Also goes to John Barkley, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the uh, the Daryl Marfo Award for hiding in plain sight uh, goes to Mesolami Kunavula. <laughs> Very good. Was uh, was uh, Jake Va- 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 Valor Valor Him. It's easy for was you to say. Uh, was he <laughs> they're in the same place. Well? Yeah, Aye, they're in. In the same cave, hide and seek champions 2020. <laughs> um, John, your awards. So, yeah, I've got a couple here. So, uh, we've got the Carol Vorderman Award for timekeeping, which will be given to Rob Harley for his uh, countdown against Edinburgh. 
Um, <laughs> we've got the Alex Dunbar Memorial for services to kicking, uh, which obviously goes to Blair Kinghorn. Um, Crimes Against Hairdressers, Tom Gordon. And then we've got the uh, sing- single player boat race champion, which was Finn Russell. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Very good. All good suggestions. Um, if you've got your own suggestions for some awards, get in touch. Let us know. We'll do them on. We'll do them on the next podcast. And um, we're going to do on this next. We've got a bit of a jingle. Well, we Yes, it's Where's Doogie Donnelly, um, where we ask you to get in touch with people that you have seen out and about loosely associated with Scottish rugby. Um, we didn't have one at the start of the podcast, but we've had an email in live as we record hey! from, from Brody Duncan, who says, Hi, Cammy et al. Or just et al. Now, oh, who's, who's et and who's al? <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got a look of an al about you, Sandy. Uh, okay. so I'll, take, I'll, um, I'll be et. That's fine. Brody says, long-time listener, first-time emailer, but I hope I'm not too late to contribute to tonight's podcast. You're not. We've got it live. Don't worry, Brody. Uh, this afternoon, I walked past Jim Hamilton on Princess Street, never realized he was so tall. And I went to say that, love the podcast, shame that Andy Good can be a bit of a, and then <laughs> a naughty word. Roman. But at the last second, I saw a small child walking alongside him, which I assumed <laughs> was his son. So all I got out was, Love the podcast and then some unintelligible babble, to which he gave me a funny look, confusedly said thanks, and went on his merry way. <laughs> so have you almost accidentally said a horrible word in front of a former Scottish professional rugby player, only to stop because it was a child or a loved one nearby? Get in touch, let us know. And that's we'll feature it on the next bit of uh, our next section of Where's Dougie Donnelly? Um we'll move straight on to this now. <laughs> Yes, it's Hands in the Rockets or any other business section of the podcast. Um, it's a chance to talk about rugby outside of Scotland or just generally what's been annoying us this week, be that rugby or, or otherwise. It can be nice. It can be nice to have some Hands in the Rock. Maybe someone's gently cupping you in a pleasant place. Who knows? So it needn't be, it needn't be bad. This will get us banned off Facebook again, won't it? Yep, that's it. <laughs> um, so um, we've got one off Twitter already. Someone tweeted me. I'm going to check if we've got any others. Um, John, have you managed? You, before we came on, you said you hadn't thought of any. Any, any come to mind while we've been, we've been talking this evening? Yeah. So it, it's quite funny actually that we've 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 kind of been bantering away about the the rivalry between Glasgow and Edinburgh, uh, and it was interesting. What, what's kind of got me a wee bit pickled was the the way that people have really kind of tried to generate a rivalry out of nothing like lots of people have been saying oh i didn't want edinburgh to win i didn't want this i didn't want that and it's almost like we're trying to i don't know it feels like we're trying to create some sort of football thing out of nothing you know we've got two professional teams that's 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 not a rivalry that's um you know that's two sides of the SRU same coin and um you know without Edinburgh will for most Scottish fans be their second team you know most Glasgow fans sorry um that was a bit of a slip there (laughs) Edinburgh will be the second team (laughs) Edinburgh for most Glasgow fans will you know Glasgow fans except when it impacts Glasgow negatively, do not want Edinburgh to lose. So the whole nonsense comments that I've seen online about people being glad Edinburgh lost and, um, you know, uh, they, they had it coming and, you know, I never thought I would want Ulster to win uh, against a, a Scottish team. It's just, just tribe guys, shut up. Yeah, I think that's fair. We've talked about this before. It's the... God love them. The SRU Ember and Glasgow marketing departments work bloody hard to say there's a rivalry. But really, <laughs> like we said, most people, I mean, even the, the followers of, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, people that are fans of Glasgow and Edinburgh, I would suggest, are, where, where that's their primary, where, the way they come, are, are in the minority, I would think, overall in Scotland, because most people that pitch up at Murrayfield probably follow their club team. 
because if you look at the attendances for Glasgow and Edinburgh, that's not if you add those two together, that's not a full Murrayfield. And I don't mean yeah. that, Sandy. I'm not having to dig at Edinburgh's no, attendance because fine. we know we know where that 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 on average that is a higher attendance than suggestion. Even when you remove, even with John don't start, even when you remove the big games at Murrayfield, it's still Thank a good attendance. Good attend. They have a good attendance. But even if you add those together, it's what twenty. You know, at best you know getting on for twenty thousand night or eighteen thousand. That's not Murrayfield. So the majority of people in I would suggest the majority of people in Scottish rugby actually Ember and Glasgow are their second and third teams, one way or the other, or even their joint. Even they might not even care that much. I think yeah. that's most people will watch the eighteen seventy two to see the play, see the Scottish players. It's good to see, that, see them internationals. Yeah. yeah, is that fair? Sandy, am I being too? Or yeah, no, is no, yeah, too- no. I think you're. I, I mean, I, certainly anecdotally. I mean, I, I work with a guy who coaches at. Uh, uh, Leith Ackies and hasn't a clue what's going on in professional rugby in Scotland. Literally nothing. Um, um, and I talked to him about rugby and uh, and he knows, he, he couldn't probably even tell you who, who the starting 15 is for either. Yeah. Or, you know, he's got no, and, he, and he's a switched on guy in terms of rugby. He knows what he's talking yeah. about, but just has no interest in professional rugby uh, at that level. Yeah. Um, and if that's a, you know, that, you know, if that's indicative of, Everybody else, and you're probably right. Um, yep. I mean, the the, the, the rivalry is a strange thing. It is because we're we're franchises that belong to the same you know, <laughs> owner, um, and and I think we all get caught up in it occasionally. I mean, I know I do, um, <laughs> but and I mean, so do the so do the media teams. I mean, I remember that the there was a uh, the Glasgow media team put out a, a tweet showing. I think it was it travel guides to Moscow and when, when Edinburgh were in the Challenge That's Cup. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and within a day, it had been pulled because mm-hmm. obviously somebody thought they had overstepped the mark. And <sighs> so, you know, it, and I've, I mean, I laughed at that one. I thought it was pretty clever, to be honest. You know, <laughs> and they, I think the guys, I think the guys across Edinburgh had a comeback, but you know, and and but it just got pushed to one side because they, they obviously thought that nope, too far. You've too taken much. that too far. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's nice to have the friendly rivalry, but like I said, it's not. It is. It is a bit manufactured. I think you're right. It's not. It's not going anywhere. But um, we the one we've had off uh, Twitter is from Craig Manson, uh, who's been a long time listening to the podcast. I know um, Craig has said that his hands in the ruck is the crowd, the artificial crowd noise that they uh, played. During the Ulster game, he says, um, it was loud and awful. At least BT Sport tried to match the noise to the gameplay. It was just awful. Sorry, I'm getting old and lo- loud noise hurts my hip. <laughs> <laughs> what I was wondering is, was it just was it just Bruce Aitchison sat in the comms box with like 100 microphones lined up and they were just replicating? He was just cheering and it was just playing it like, you know, on a slight delay to try and make it look like there's a crowd there. Yeah, Bruce got a Bruce got a Ralphie to give eye point for being too noisy in the in the run up to the start of the match. <laughs> Doogie's lovely as well. Uh, I, I always I always tell how Doogie made me a cup of tea over at Scotston. <laughs> Legend, claim it, fame, John. Aye, it's because I was absolutely freezing. It was brutally cold at Scotston. I was literally stuck to my chair, uh, and Doogie went and got me a cup of tea. Top top boy. I don't think Bruce Hitchens ever been quiet in his life. No, I think there's, yeah. there's, that's the reason why it's a stadium announcer. I think he's still technically. I think he's still uh, talking about the, the talking about the ninety seven lines too from our podcast, and then he uh, actually stopped. <laughs> just had to stop recording and just we'll pick stop. him up. Stop. Was it 10, um, twelve years? Do we go back? Uh, we'll pick him up uh, again then. Um, my hands in the rock. Uh, this is picking up on something we uh, talked about. Actually, something you talked about, Sandy, that I, I pulled you up on, but actually, I've. I've been talked around on it. You were talking about um, Dylan Hartley moaning about all his in, his injuries and his poor fortune from his million pound mansion and duck with a duck pond and a duck house on it. Mm. Um, Seeing so that much sympathy, that he was at it again on the the new James Haskell podcast. Which interest? Do you know they're being sued for making that podcast? Oh no, Joe.ie, um, and this is public knowledge, so it's not like a private thing. Because it, it was uh, Joe.ie, because they used to do the Joe House of Rugby Joe podcast, and they've they've gone off and done their own one. So Joe is suing them, <laughs> sweet for, for intellectual property theft, because they said that the new show is very similar to the Joe what to the Joe uh, 
the House of Rugby one, which it is, um, <laughs> although a court will determine whether or not that's true or not. However, <laughs> he was on the House of Rugby talk, uh, not House of Rugby, he was on a slip of the tongue. He was on the new James Haskell podcast. And there was a discussion, a clip put out on Twitter where the, uh, it was Dylan Hartley and James Haskell essentially comparing injuries. And I think the the intent of the discussion was to say this is the attritional effect that it has on the body. But in actually what it became was a pissing contest. Oh. And that's the way it came across. Was I've played for England concussed. I've played for, I've run out with my knee hanging off. You know, and it... I think from that point of view, you have very little sympathy because they're, they're not talking. I think the point I made to you, Sandy, is I've all yeah. well and good for guys with a platform to talk about a lack of pastoral and aftercare with professional rugby players saying they put their bodies on the line and then there's no, they're not looked after and I'm sorted, I'm all right, Jack, but there's guys out there who aren't, who are struggling to make ends meet because of their injuries and the long-term effects. Think if it's in those terms, I've got I fully support them talking about it. If it's in the terms of I've been more injured than you have, I'm more crippled than you are because that's what the, with the term I, I I don't use that term lightly. It's the way they were talking about it. If it's a a willy waving contest, I don't I don't I don't think that's the right discussion in which the right kind of framework in which the discussion should be have, and that's kind of the way it was had and Mike Bubbins was um who's a, a Welsh comedian member people know Mike from the uh, socially distance podcast he made a point which he got put picked up by a lot of people I think Mike had a point he says you know everybody that's played rugby at any level will have long-term effects on their body I mean you know I've I played youth rugby but I've still got my, my fingers are still not quite right for a couple of times. I knack my fingers <laughs> playing rugby. You know that like they're still a wee bit stiff, and when it gets cold, they get a wee bit sore. My I've not got cauliflower ears, but I've got flat ears from playing in the cold for two years, and that's nowhere near some people that have played from like my brother who's played from minis up to you know he's played at a reasonable level in England, and he played for Berwick in Scotland. He's got you know he's shot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's in his early thirties, so. Mike's point was everybody who leaves who plays rugby at any level, particularly if you're a forward, is going to come away with some long-term health impacts. And they haven't got the level of care. And in the past, guys who played rugby put their bodies on the line just in the same way. So boasting about it, it doesn't make you any better than any of those players. By all means, raise it as a welfare issue and pastoral and whatever, but just kind of... It's boring going. Well, I'm more. In, I've been more injured than you. Is boring. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've heard any of these guys say. I feel for young players who've not, you know, who might not, who might their their careers might be ended prematurely. They, like you say, it's just it's a bit. Look at me. Um, it's the old uh, Monty Python sketch. I had to get up four hours before I went to bed and <laughs> lick cesspit clean with tongue. You know. It, you know <laughs> It's war stories, you know, and and if you're right, if it's a war story uh, to prevent somebody else having to go to war, then great. But um, if it's just for uh, for cheap thrills and for uh, clicks, it's not quite so, not quite so impressive. Or because you're a wee bit bitter about the way things ended. Yeah. yeah. Good. So there we go. We're all agreed. Should we have a show of hands? Can I, one very quick hands in the rock for me because on, uh, rather than a, um, a, a how angry am I? I uh, just wanted to say how good was Darcy Graham's tackle and uh, reaction and turnover from Jacob Stockdale on Saturday. I think I've watched that particular part of the match about fifteen times. I just think that was just phenomenal work and um, almost makes up for everything else. He's, do you know, he's a. He's a number. He's a he's a number seven in a in a winger's body, isn't he? Yeah. You see, we've talked about before. The way he hits the rocks. Yeah. Sometimes. Aggressive. You know, very aggressive player, very impressive player. On that note, did you happen to catch the the highlights of Racing v Leon and see Big Matteo Bass throw at eight? No. Scored 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 the first try. Oh my 
golly gosh, this guy is a tank. Um, he was he played, played relatively well by all by all uh, kind of objective measures and did scored he, the first try. Was he started there, John? Was it? Did he start? Ah, he started, started, he started at eight. Yeah, I think um, he switched. He switched here, isn't he? I'm, I'm surprised. He's. I mean, it's no surprise really. He went and played in New York, and I mean, I've yeah. I've I've had a bagel in New York, and they are <laughs> bloody delicious. So you can imagine, you spending six months eating nothing but bagels in New York, you're going to oh. come away. You know, think of what a croissant does to you. Imagine what a bagel does to you. He was, Jeez, he, he was not a, he was not a small cat either, was he? No, in the first, no, first instance. Um, but yeah, no, he scored the first try with a really nice loop off the off the off the tail. Um, and one of the forums I followed, the, the first comment on it was, "Who does he think he is, Richie Vernon?" <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I will pick up on it just very quickly is the Owen Farrell tackle. And the only thing that's annoyed me about it, and I, I feel bad because it was a, a telegraph writer, but the thing that constantly annoys me is people blaming rugby league for the way yeah. that Owen Farrell yeah. tackles because he hasn't played rugby league since he was 13 or 14. And somebody said, oh, I think it's just a cultural issue. I was like, going, I don't think being from Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> makes you attempt it, it makes you attempt people. people aren't born but you're not like you don't emerge from the womb being able to play rugby league do you know what I mean it's not unless Andy had him in the back garden kind of like with a, a crash test dummy showing him how to take the head off people That's up until it, yeah. he was 18 or something then I don't it's not a, it's a it's a lazy excuse for somebody that has a very very poor tackle technique and loses and, and, the head and like Novak Djokovic in his instant, it has been coming for years. Yeah. And yeah. here we are, and everybody's in uproar going, oh, no, poor Owen, oh, no. And the rest of us are going, yeah, he's he's deserved this for a long time. A long time, yeah. I think at the point I put up, somebody had said, oh, well, he's, re- he's, he's um, you know, his disciplinary record isn't actually that bad. I was going, yeah, but that's kind of like saying, you know, this guy's murdered 300 people, but, only you know, he only got caught for It's only been prosecuted for one. Somebody did it better. They said it's a bit like uh, saying poor Al Capone was was in prison for his tax affairs. Ignore <laughs> <laughs> all the other stuff. But it's just... That's, uh, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't proven, it didn't happen. Aye. So Allegedly. on that note, on that note. <laughs> That's it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much, everyone who's watched with us, uh, watched along with us, and joined in with the comments. Um, I don't know what we're doing next week. Um, there's an Embry European game coming up. We may be back with a podcast next week. Uh, we might have a week off um, and recharge our batteries. We'll let you know. Keep an eye out on Twitter and on uh, the blog, and we'll we'll post some news um, probably early next week or over the weekend as to whether or not we're going to come back and, and have one. Um, like I said, we've got some stuff planned for the Patreon in October, so please do sign up for that. You'll get an ad-free uh, versions of the podcast as well. Um, it helps us put out these live streams and that's the reason we've started them up and we do enjoy doing them and, and people enjoy uh, getting involved in the comments. But for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Sandy and John. Night, folks. Night, guys.